This episode of Finding Demo Surfishing is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Head over to kidscanfish.net and take a look at all these great things that the organization is doing for kids. All your contributions go back to them and help them put on these camps. These kids go to these camps and they go home with the gear that they just learned to use. Whether it's a cast net, rod and reel, could be anything on that. But all the things that you do that help them makes them grow. Their mission is huge. They're doing wonderful things. Kidscanfish.net's the website. Go over, take a look, check it out. episode ah gotta love these winter episodes i call it winter i don't i don't know if we're really in winter yet it is only you know november but when you're hearing this it'll be december yeah and then uh, the shifting is uh, the, the fishing shift is changing everybody's getting ready to get into their winter gear winter setups winter uh winter clothes i've already uh, been tempted with a couple of days we've had here this week we're taking a little digital road trip via the car now we're not flying now we're heading over to daytona beach florida And this week, we're talking with a show listener. I love these episodes. These are fun. And we're talking with Joe Thompson out of Daytona Beach. we got a lot of fun stuff there. We're going to go over some knowledge. And he also is creating some pretty cool products for himself out of there, too. And he's doing something we just talked pre-show about that I absolutely love that he said. is uh, He's doing a little bit of teaching with it. It's always cool. You know, it's the old adage. Give a man a fish. Give him someone. Or give a man a fish. What? He'll eat today. Teach him. He'll eat forever. So good pieces right there. Well, without further ado, me flapping my mouth the whole time. Joe, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thank you very much, man. How you doing, Brian? I am wonderful. It's going to be a good week, good day. I mean, everything is good. I wish I could complain, but it ain't going to help me none. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> doesn't do us any good to complain, does it? No, it feels good for a moment, though, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll have to get it out of you. Oh, <laughs> uh, perfect. So, like we said, Joe, you're at a Daytona Beach, um, and you born, do... okay, born and raised, man, born and raised right here. You're talking to a local, local. Wow, that you don't hear that much nowadays. You really don't, you know, and and it's okay. I mean, it's just when you do, you're like, really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's, you're right. It's not a bad thing at all. I mean, it's cool. And now you know the spots. I mean, you've been there, you've been there a little while. Um, You know, your areas for fishing. (laughs) I've been here. I'll be 61 years this December. Oh man. Congratulations. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Only a couple more years to retirement. You're almost there. Yeah, well, you know, we'll go we'll go as early as we can so we can go fishing more. <laughs> yeah. Well, the nice thing about where you are, you've got year-round fishing, and that's that's something we are very fortunate with here in Florida. We definitely have year-round fishing, uh, and it's just species changes. That's all it really is. We we can we can get crazy in the summer, fall. You know, it, it's all something different to go after. Oh yeah, you can you can definitely. You can try to fish for something all year long. You're just not going to be that successful. You just need to be able to, uh, a lot of people don't do it, but they have to push in the clutch and change a gear. Yep. Uh, I'm sure other listeners are. I'll admit it. I am fully guilty of it. I mean, it's, it is very easy to get into one style of fishing and fall in love with that style and that style only and stay in that mode. I mean, it's, 
that you can go out there and pompano fish all year, sure. But if there's no pompano because, you know, it's a dead summer, you know, you're not having the big pushes like that or middle winter, you're missing out on all the other things, the trout, the snook, uh, reds, all the other great species that are running around, black drum. Yeah, it'll make it'll make you mad to see somebody with a bucket full and hear you have nothing. That's, there's nothing like the zero, you know, to make you humble. <laughs> yeah, that's why we have catfish. Catfish are the ultimate. Uh, <laughs> they're the ultimate skunk remover. It's like, all right, I caught something. <laughs> now you're running with our group, the group of guys that I I fish with and everything else. The catfish is minus one, so you really don't even talk. Oh, about it. I like that. That's a fun add to the yeah. board. A negative. Yeah, you definitely, if, you, if you're trying to get that skunk off the boat, you'd rather smell the skunk than you would be a minus one. Ooh, yeah, that's fair. I, I don't want to owe the ocean anything else for a while. That's just not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, Joe, let's start it off in the beginning here. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Um, I was probably four years old uh, going with my dad. Um, he was a fireman. He worked in Daytona Beach. Uh, he worked with a fire chief. His name was uh, Red Burnson and, uh, for Daytona Beach. And he got my dad into fishing when they first came down here in 62. And, of course, I, I, I wasn't born until 62, late 62, December, like I said before. And uh, he, Red Burnson, I call him Chief Burnson, so that's where I'll, I'll go from there. Um, he taught my dad everything from uh, bridge fishing to wade fishing to surf fishing to jetty fishing uh, to fishing in a boat. And believe me, their boat was nothing, you know, extravagant at all. It was a uh, it was a rowboat. <laughs> it was truly a double rowboat. And that's what they had to fish out of. And that's and for those day and those times, they did fantastic. Um, my dad was really hooked on it. And as a little boy, he would, he would, uh, load me up and take me. Um, you know, uh, you just gotta, you gotta learn the discipline. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta do it the way dad does it and tie this the way dad does it. Right. But, you know, repetition, uh, makes perfection is what he would say. And, uh, he would teach you the rigs and tell you why. So you got, you got the knowledge, you know, you got the, you got the background of why this works because he paid such close attention to someone who was such a warrior in the water. Uh, Chief Burnson was a, uh, he was a credible fisherman. Uh, to skunk him, you probably skunked 95% of Daytona beach and that just didn't happen. Oh, he's one of those, the one that had he's the magic the, touch and magic knowledge. He had the fire stick. I mean, if he threw the fire stick down, he was bringing something back. <laughs> you know, he was bringing something back. And as a matter of fact, if when they would go fishing, if it wasn't good, they would change tactics uh, just to get shrimp to have something for the trip because, you know, it costs money back then like it does now, but, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't waste money. They made sure that it was a trip worthwhile. That's smart. I mean, hey, nowadays, uh, I really live by this. I mean, your work, I work uh, in, an, in the aviation industry. So oh. any hours I can get on the water have to be, 
methodical, tactical, and useful. So wasting time is just not, it's not in the box. You can't do that now. And he sounds like one of those guys. No, you can't. Um, You gotta, you gotta be able to say, this is not working today. And you gotta feel like what, and you gotta be, you know, you gotta examine yourself and say, Hey, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I doing? Am I, am I clinging to something? You know, we were talking before about catching fish and, the interesting thing is, is if you're not filling up the bucket, you don't feel successful. And that's not really true because you can't eat all those fish at one time uh, <laughs> unless you have a very large family. Uh, but what you do is to be successful is to have a safe time. You know, that's the other thing that he 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 instilled into me is let's not do anything that'll cause harm either to the environment or ourselves. So those are those are things that I live by. That's a really great lesson for you, especially as a young person. I mean, it really is. It really is. It was, you know, and I, and I do it with my kids. I do it with my, uh, my fishing buddies, kids growing up, um, whenever they, my, uh, nieces and nephews come down from Iowa, uh, I let them know what's going on, you know, and, and what to do and what not to do and why, because that, that why part really cures all the questions. Yeah, definitely. The, Yes, so much on that one. And you really, I love that you said this because I, no one else has said it on the show, and I think it's fun. We can talk about it, obviously. We're, we're going to play with the questions and have a conversation here. But sure. um, one of the ones with what you just said triggered this thought. What your measurement of success is, is it, it's not somebody else's. And, you know, when I go fishing with guys like, you know, when, when I went out with Chip, the sinker guy, Chip is a hell of an angler, and uh, he he will outfish me hands down. He, he man, the man just does, and he's wonderful at it. And I'm never upset. I always fun because I'm a I'm a visual learner. I'll sit and stalk him. Um, but yeah, man, <laughs> his version of success for his fishing day is X number, and whereas my number is X. You know, we don't have the same one. But even with him, because he's a coach, uh, I loved this about him while fishing. Is he'll say well you know he'd be like hey congrats you know he's always going to pump you up but even with the couple that for me that was my success he's like you got your goal you know that's great and for people to measure themselves their own success off of someone else i think you're setting yourself up for failure you really are and you know what it doesn't take too many times for there to be failure in your eyes or in your heart that you say to yourself i'm not really enjoying this so all of a sudden it becomes a task rather than something that you're enjoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in your industry, uh, I know you're in the healthcare industry, The right. th- that same thing right there. I mean, measuring of success is somebody, you know, in the end, everyone's got a different goal. You know, obviously, the end goal being win and life, but everyone's got a different marker and, me- and metric that they want to get to. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether it's fishing or life, your metric is your metric. Yes, it is. It is. And you really... You know, you can, uh, and there are fishermen, you know, that I talk to that are on the line. Uh, like the, there's a gentleman I don't, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with. His name is Tung Pham. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love talking with him. Uh, he is, he is, and I call him, you know, the uh, emperor, which is my nickname, the emperor uh, of the beach, the new emperor of the beach, because he's, he's doing well, but he takes the time to he does his homework you know and and homework is what makes good grades 
<laughs> All sorts of fun little analogies here in this episode. I love this. It is. I'm an analogy. I'm a, you know, I've worked with doctors all my life in the operating room, so you're going to get a whole bucket full of analogies because it just comes flooding out of the brain. So I'm, analogies are good because they're 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 what? Oh God, what did that old guy used to tell me? Analogies are bridges in gaps that you find a way. There's that's just the perfect thing. It's just so it, the point gets across. Mm-hmm. As my dad would say, it doesn't matter if you hit your thumb with a hammer, as long as the point gets across. <laughs> that sounds more painful, but <laughs> <Sure>. okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But you know, for an old West Virginia boy like my dad, they were pretty. They were pretty blunt, you yeah. know, and uh, they're full of love. But they're, you know, they were they were pretty blunt. Mm-hmm. All right. What's your favorite thing about fishing? Uh. The time actually on the water, if I'm standing in the surf and there's not a care in the world, there's not a care in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to be catching fish every second. And somebody is, you know, thinking, wow, he's great. And, you know, people lining up on the beach, beach to, uh, see what you've caught. And, uh, Truly, if I'm in a boat or I'm by the river, I'm on a dock or I'm standing in the beach fishing, it's to feel it's it's a freedom. It's a freedom. Now, there's nothing like fighting a fish because you don't know the outcome. And the outcome is either going to be good for you or good for the fish. <laughs> but, in, but in both of them, there's going to be some knowledge. The fish is going to get educated. And you're going to get educated. It's just who gets the degree first, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, very well. Very well put. With that education comes this, then. What is a bucket list fish that you, uh, that you want to catch? Oh, I would love to go to Alaska and catch a salmon. Oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds nice. I would love to. I'm into... I'm into some fly fishing. I won't even begin to say that I'm a good fly fisherman, but if he gets on the hook, I think that I got a chance of, uh, of giving him a good shot to get in. I watch old flip pallet shows and everything else online. And I'm like, is that how you do it? And I'm like, yeah, that's how you do it. Um, but to be able to go to some place like Alaska, which is, you know, our last frontier and, uh, catch something like a salmon it would be great one of my friends that i grew up with uh she is a uh, nurse anesthetist but she started out with me in surgical tech school her son is a guide in alaska so good lord willing maybe one of these times i'll bucket list that thing oh that'd be so much fun i i look forward to hearing about that hopefully you do get up there and catch one because Oh, you know, I'll put it on. I'll put it online if I do something like that. You won't be able to wipe, wipe my smile off my face with Clorox rag. It'll 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 be there for a while. Definitely, absolutely, yes. Oh man! All right, so you nailed that one. Well, I'm guessing that Alaska is going to follow the next one. Then, what about dream places to go fish? Well, of course, you know, there's Alaska, and uh, I believe that uh, everybody has started to figure out Louisiana. And they're starting to border on figuring out that Texas has fish. Um, <laughs> it, you know, um, I have been a person who really loves to follow what's 
hot. You know, if the reds are in, go where the reds are. If the trout are in, go where the trout are. Um, I would say I would love to go down south near West Palm around that area, around Stewart, and I would love to catch a snook that would make me jump in the water and give it a hug. Okay. Those snook are, those, some of those snook, those boys catch are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. South Florida's got some special fisheries going. I mean, I'll give them that. Yeah, they do. We got some nice stuff up here and you got some nice stuff over there, but there's something about down there. I mean, you can get snook and then peacock bass and it's just so many other cool species you can still play with going down there. Yeah. But freshwater, a freshwater fish now, uh, Hooking into a peacock bass wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad day at all. No, from what I've seen, those things pretty much look like uh, you know they're water rockets. They they come out of the water pretty pretty often. Yeah, I'm I'm the worst freshwater fisherman I know. So to, to even catch a <laughs> quote unquote bass species would be like, oh cool, I finally got one. <laughs> I'm gonna peacock would just hit the top, so that'd be that would be fun. <laughs> that'd be a monster, wouldn't it? And especially a big one. That's what you know. Anything that leaves you breathless. Yep. Yeah, you know anything that you catch it, you go, oh boy, and you look at over buddy, and he goes, wow, that's you know that's when your credibility of catching that fish comes in. It's like we're gonna eat now, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely true. All right, last one in this category, and we'll get into the knowledge piece. Can you share a memorable fishing story, unexpected catches, or any challenging fishing situations? I can give you two. And two of them are different points in my life. Okay. Um, one of them was when I was working, I was working at Peninsula. This is probably back in 94, 95, way back when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. And we were on the beach and it was the mullet run. And my partner, uh, Scott Foshi and myself, we, he worked in the hospital with me. And I said, come on, let's go down to the beach. I hear the mullet runs going on. And so we asked our boss, you know, if we could have the afternoon off. And he said, absolutely not. He says, but since you guys are staying and helping me, you guys can get off the next day. And because we didn't tell him what we were doing. Let me let me preface that by saying that. <laughs> okay. And uh, if we were fishing and not taking him, we were going to get in trouble. So we decided to go ahead and get in trouble. And the next morning we woke up early and got our size, those big cans of iced tea and uh, cruised out near the jetty because you could drive almost everywhere on the beach back then. Uh, you could drive up and down the beach from Ormond to, to the jetty in Ponce Inlet. And we're going along and I see these bait pods just crashing right on the beach. And I said, just grab your pole, uh, put a three ounce weight on it. And we got live bait rigs on them. Uh, and I said, let me get some bait. I literally, Brian, I literally walked out in ankle deep water and there were mullet trying to get away. What? And I would kick, <laughs> I would kick the water and kick bait up on shore. No cast net, no nothing. I forgot the cast net. I forgot it. Happens. You know, somebody fish out there for 60 years and still forget their cast net. It, I mean, it happens. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we keep these things out here, put them in a five-gallon bucket to keep them alive. We nose-hooked and tail-hooked them and threw them out there. And I mean, it wasn't six seconds that we weren't hooked up. And we started catching fish. And I kept catching fish, and so did Scott. 
and he's looking at me and he goes, and, and, and it's classic for him because he's never really saltwater fished at that point very much. And he goes, this is my best day ever. <laughs> and you're like, this is worth it. This is, this is going to be worth it because you never keep his mouth shut, you know. And we ended up catching, I don't know, probably keeper bluefish, not puppies, about 15 or 20 of them. And we probably caught about 10, 15 big jacks. I mean, these things are monstrous. And, you know, people on the beach are like, they're walking by. The people are walking for exercise. They stop. And they're looking at all the fish. And they're like, are you going to eat all this fish? And I said, you know, ma'am, if you want one, you can have it. And she's like, no, I was just wondering if you're going to keep it. I said, I'm just going to smoke them and make dip out of them. If you want to take them home, they're, you're welcome to have them. Uh, but, you know, there was there was a good crowd of people. And when we came back, we didn't have a cooler. So we threw ice in the back of the truck on top of the fish from 7-Eleven. And we were both just absolutely gleaming with joy. And we drove up to the hospital because it was getting close to where we might have to be on call and come in. And he says, where you guys been? And he could smell us because we smelt like fish. <laughs> of course, because that's what those oily and monsters said, do. <laughs> and he said, you guys, you guys go fishing. Did you do any good? He says, do you guys even know how to fish? Scott looked at me. I looked at him. And I said, we did all right. I said, we got a couple of them in the back of the truck if you want to see. You know, it's a pickup truck. He comes out there and he looks in the back of that pickup truck and there's a fit of rage that come over that man. <laughs> and it was that a fit of rage or a fit of jealousy, one of the two. And he's like, you guys are never going fishing ever again. And I said, <laughs> okay, boss, no problem. Uh, that was probably one of my best days out on the beach for sure, because we only spent two hours in the surf. Didn't matter what it was. We had the bait right there. We had all the, all the answers were lined up. It was, we were right on the edge of a run out. So it was every fish for himself. You know, it was mm -hmm. a great deal. The second one that I'll tell you about real quick is I was really young. I was probably six or seven years old. And I went with my uh, grandfather and my father to the jetty. Now, you have to understand, back in the 60s and stuff, they were still building the jetty. The jetties was made out of wood. It really was. It was made out of wood. And there was a little raft out there and, uh, well, a rail, a railing, and like a, it looked like a raft with a railing. And my dad and my grandfather went out there. And they proceeded to catch redfish. And these redfish are solid 25s. Nice. Some of them bigger. And they caught redfish until their arms were tired. And my grandfather's trying to hold the pole and let me reel. And I'm just young enough that I have the intention span of a gnat, you know. But I'm out there with Papa and Dad, so I'm having a great time. But I remember looking in the back of his International Harvester truck, and it was full of redfish. And that man came home and cleaned fish, gave them to the neighbors, gave them to everybody, you know, so they could put fish away. It's just what people did back then, you know, they shared, they shared the well. And I was just amazed at the number of spots that were in the back of my dad's truck as a young man. And I'm like, I probably won't see anything like this again in my life. And you know what? It's been 
55 years <laughs> and I haven't seen it. Of course, limits keep you from doing that now, but I have never seen anything like that. You know, I've just, I just haven't. So no. those are, those are two of my favorite, my favorite stories. Those are great. That was, that was awesome. And you're right. I mean, with the, with the change in policy and all that stuff and getting into limits, yeah, none of us will ever see a truck bed full, but that's still cool that you can look back and you know, you, you, you've seen that and that's something that says something. So well done. Oh, Very good ones. Absolutely. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we're going to move into the fishing chips, tricks, and knowledge. But before we do that, hey, it's been about 25 minutes, everybody. You know what that means. It's time to check that bait. It is your first bait check of the episode. Bring that line in. Make sure you got good bait still on there. And if you don't, change it out. You got to put something different on there. You got to keep fishing because that's the key gotta catch those fish this bait check is being brought to you by the sinker guy we've been talking about him during the show chip does great things go over to the sinkerguy.com and take a look at everything that chip's got going on in the sinker guy garage you need sinkers he's got you covered sputniks on different weights uh five and below easily attainable but if you need specials reach out to him he might be able to hook you up rigs you got the bruno and the uno uh and the all fishing mortician i love the mortician rig especially for the winter time it's one of my favorite ones to use but it's good year round so don't let it fool you you need bait uh he's got you in there hooked up with fish bites uh, and if you need any kind of the other terminal tackle things like that scissors uh pliers he's totally got it one stop shop thesinkerguy.com get your order in today well, now that we're pushing pushing into this, and you've really laid some great ground foundation here with the, you know how things have been from the beginning to now, let's start your fishing not, or how you do fishing. So let's start at the very beginning, and then we'll continue on through here. How do you plan your fishing trip? Well, there's a there's a lot of factors that go into it, but first of all, being that I still have to work, you have to have the time to do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing there's nothing worse than saying. I'm going to go out for this little bit of time and go to work. And just as you fix and leave, the fish start to bite. Um, so, you know, you're going to be a uh, prisoner of your environment. So you have to make sure that you have the time to do it. Um, once you have, say, I'm able to go this Tuesday, then you start looking at things. There's uh, things that, I, and then I figure out what type of fishing I want to do. Um, do I want to go on the river? Do I want to go to the jetty? Do I want to go on the beach? Uh, you know, do I want to go to haul over? Where, where do I want to go? And I start doing research because now, nowadays, there is more information out there for you to make a logical decision on where to go. Uh, I don't, I don't listen to a, a a bunch of people saying the fish are over here at marker thirty nine or whatever i'm i'm not looking for that uh i'm looking for you know what bait is in the surf um i'm looking for what time of year it is i'm looking for uh, what the moon is doing where we at on the moon phase how cold is it how hot is it uh these are all factors that uh go into my planning uh and it's the same thing about you know where uh where my spot's going to be, you know, um, there's no reason to be up in Daytona where, you know, the shore break is further out than it is down at Cape Canaveral. Uh, you, you pick your spot 
according to those those things. Okay, so you you started with that. Let's get let's continue with the spot. What what you mentioned great with the shore break there with Daytona, and the East Coast beaches are really cool because you have so many different pieces. You've got high impact, low impact. You've got far bar, close bar. I mean, you've got some beaches that will drop 150 yards on the outgoing tide. Uh, and come right back at you real fast. So you started mentioning the spot. What else are you looking for in a spot? Well, if I'm I'm going to go beach fishing, and uh, we're going to stick to beach fishing, I'll try not to talk about the rest of the stuff. <laughs> no, it's that. okay because I mean, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep it secret. My buddies don't kill. Me. Oh, okay. And, no, now that's fair. That, that you know that you know that they will say you know what I listen to your podcast, and I'm going to have to charge you two or three fish just for saying that and <laughs> getting the catfish but, just make it negative yeah, just to stay right. in the negative make, for that just give me a negative go ahead um <laughs> but what i do when i'm on the beach and like i said when i was younger it was no big deal with my dad because we cruised until we found the right run out now you have to understand first of all what a run out is um from the beach no matter where you are where if you're in a primitive setting down at canaveral or whether you're up in Daytona or Ormond, or you go to St. Augustine or wherever you go, the beach is the beach and it's coming in and it's going out. And what you need to do is you need to find where there are breaks in the bars. And the breaks in those bars are called runouts, which everybody, you know, the lifeguards are all screaming at you and blowing whistles and saying to get out for the swimming people that don't know because really it'll carry you 150 yards out to sea if you let it yeah uh and, and people perish and it, and it's awful I, I hate it for them I, I hate it that that happens um but i'm looking for those runouts because these fish as they come out of these inlets and stuff from these lakes and these lagoons and everything they're coming out to feed and they're going to clean up everything that they can because a fish like my dad told me, doesn't have a refrigerator to go to when it's hungry. He's going to eat whenever he's hungry. Now, there's times that he's hungrier, and there's times that he's not as hungry because he, he fed, but still fish are opportunistic feeders. Yeah. So in these, in these spots, I'm looking for these breaks because the water rushes from each side like a, like a vortex, like a reverse tornado is what I was taught. And it will grab that water and go through that cut, and it will grab everything with it. If it's periwinkles, if it's sand fleas, if it's bait fish, small whiting, small pompano, those fish are sitting on the outflows of that next bar, waiting to see what's coming to the table. So if you can get on one of those spots and you start, and, and I'm looking for areas that have deep pockets beside those runouts. Because a lot of times where there's a run out, it, and everybody thinks that a run out goes straight, quite contrary. If you see one that goes straight, straight out, know that you have a monster and you need to very, be very careful. But because of the current of the ocean, the run out can be going from 7 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Or it can be going from 4 o'clock to 10 o'clock. When you're looking from the shore to the water, you're like, well, the water's kind of going that way. Look for that big thing of foam where there's no, there's no waves breaking, but the foam is going backwards as the wave is coming forward. And you're like, hey, this is a spot. So that's, that's, some of the, that's, that's my biggest 
thing is to look for a productive area, something that's going to produce, because there's 90% of the area on the beach will catch you a fish, but I can catch 90% of the fish where they want to be. <laughs> yes. Where they want to be, because like I said, there's no fish refrigerator, because if there was, we could all go right there and catch the fish before they get the refrigerator. So the best refrigerator that I can think of for fish is something that brings water to them naturally at, at a rate that other small bugs or whatever they are, uh, you know, samples, I call them bugs, uh, just can't take. They can't get to the bottom. They're getting rolled around and rolled out there. And of course, they, they, they're made lunch pretty quick. <laughs> Especially when they're on my hook. Oh, oh, here, here. I'm, yeah, just, I'm holding yeah, it right here for you. Just come get it. Yeah, here, go ahead and bend that rod just a little bit more. <laughs> well, now that you talked about the spot, let's talk about casting. So you, you're all set up in the spot. You found the run out. You got some good, you got some other good features that have got you there. Now, what do you, where are you casting? Well, it depends. Do you want to be a Rambo fisher or do you want to be a clothesline fisherman? Now, a lot of people don't know what those two are until I tell you. But Rambo is going to go around that run out and move and throw short and throw long and throw, get out into waist deep water and throw it over the next bar. And he's going to go everywhere looking for it with one rod. Now, the way I was taught was to take, and I know this is crazy, it sounds crazy, but it, and it's only been bad one time uh, in six years. So you folks take that to heart, is I take four rods and I put four of them out, probably 10, 15 yards apart. And I, this is when I love to take a buddy, you know, because I'm like, you got these two, I got these two. If these don't work, we're moving. And that's the thing that people need to figure out. If it's not working, even as a Rambo style or a clothesline style, don't be afraid to move. If you're comfortable and you just want to relax and you want to have rods out, good for you. Good for you. But your rate that you're going to catch fish is going to go up exponentially. It's going to go up when you find where they're at or where they're moving. Because the key with these guys is that I talked about, I didn't talk about sloughs because, you know, there's bars and then the, and those are the shallow ends that you see the waves crashing on. And then there's deep parts, which is called sloughs. And of course, the middle part that I talked about, the erosion of one of those bars makes a run out and provides opportunity. If it gets strong enough, it goes to the first and second bar and you know, you're in the mamu, you know, you're, you're there. Uh, and if somebody comes up to fish with you, charge them 10 bucks, you know, just, that's just the way it is. Um, but that is, that is my, that is my recipe for success is, is to being able to move and there's, you know, and it's conditional. You know, there's some people who go to the beach who, who can't go up and down the beach. They can't walk up and down. They, they have, and that's okay. Fish where you can, move when you can, and know that your success depends on you finding them. That's really good. Uh, that's really, really good. I like that. And I do love the fact that you even said the one thing that a lot of people are, oh, I don't want to say scared, but apprehensive to do is... There, there are too many of us in this industry, in this sport that don't move. You know, you set up the four rods and you grow roots. You're like, this is my happy. I'm staying here. 
Yeah, and absolutely. I'm going to make the fish bite, and I, I'm guilty of it. I'm absolutely guilty of it, and, and we all are. It's just, let's be honest. But that piece of, you know, moving and changing it up and moving all the, it just being ready to be adaptive is so important in surf fishing. Yeah, there's times where you, you catch fish where you're like, my God, it's not even, it's not even knee-deep water. Yeah. I'm catching fish. And you're like, if I had tried to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, and throw that thing out there to the third bar every time, I'd have missed every one of those fish. Now, when I got those four rods out, one of them is short, one of them is short medium, the next one is medium, and the next one is long. And that way, if I can find those fish running that highway, I didn't finish that and I should have, the slough and the sloughs end up being the highway. Whether it's a state road or an interstate depends on the tide. Now, if the tide is out and there's no water, it's not even a state road because the fish can't <laughs> live in it. Right. But if there's just a little bit of water, it's a state road. Certain fish can go through there and feel safe because let's be honest, every fish out there is a target for something. So they're either getting a meal or they're becoming a meal. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you like whiting or not. They're going to get eaten by something if they do something wrong outside of their highway. So the more the more you find what the fish are at which is are they in the interstate what what is your interstate where's the most traffic where's the least amount of traffic so if you can start focusing on that with your first four rods and you go hey my two long ones are doing great and he, and my buddy will say you know uh i am caught a thing are you doing this to me on purpose <laughs> no i'm trying to find you know i said here you go I'm going to cast my two out on this over here and I'll fish yours and I'm going to recast them, you know, and put them out there and, and we hit some fish. Now, again, this is, this is not to catch three, five gallon buckets of fish. It's not going to happen, you know, uh, but there are people who are tuned into it who do well often and kudos to them because they've got the right radar channel. Uh, they know what's going on. Uh, but as far as the spots and the sloughs and stuff, just don't be afraid to say, I'm on a state road and I would like to do better. Where's the interstate? Good one. Very nice. Well, let's talk into uh, the other pieces here. So you've got them out there. What kind of rigs are you preferring to use for uh, fishing at the beach? I got it. Guys have come up like the sinker guy. They, these people have come up with such neat rigs. Uh, and they're cool. I look them up online and I'm like, yeah, I can tie that, you know, and, and I tie it and, and I do it, but there's two basic ones that, uh, I've used for 60 years. And if I'm live bait fishing, uh, and that is to catch predominantly redfish or bluefish. Um, I am out there. Uh, even Spanish mackerel, we've caught them out there. It's, it, 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 I mean, it happens. I mean, you know, everything comes in waves. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute because it's not the waves that people think. Um, I like to tie a bait rig that is called a sliding sinker rig. And it is a white tubular thing that lets your pyramid sinker slide all the way up and down your line. And it comes to rest on a, on a bead to save the knot and a swivel and a heavier line because uh, I cast like 20 pound test um, for a leader to your hook. 
and of course you can hook that bait on there. Now that bait swims in an arc. Again, I'm gonna give you the tornado reference. Just the weight's on the bottom, your line is tight, coming back to shore, and this fish is captive, as it should be, in this tornado action. Um, that is for your live fish, and of course, redfish can't stand that. And even bluefish, they can't stand it. They're gonna destroy it. <laughs> Uh, that that is you know and those are some of your most vicious strikes they really are uh, for those kind of fishes um, you need to have your drag loosened where people are like hmm did he just say loosen my drag yeah I did because if you've got your pole in a pole holder and mr. 15 pound redfish comes sauntering by and he's like this is a great mullet that you have here I think I'll take him he may take your rig because the sand is liquid even though it feels like it's solid and it can pull your sand spike right out of the ground yeah and your rod and reel can go right in the surf ask me how I know that <laughs> you know? Uh, which means that a big guy like myself has to hustle and grab it and hug the reel as I'm trying to reel in the fish and you hear this sand and stuff and these are just things you don't want to deal with but um, the other one is a rig that my dad taught me to tie and it is a it's a dropper rig it's a double dropper rig but he called it exclusively a pompano rig and he tied it with one strand and it was a uh, barrel swivel at the bottom a swivel at the top in the middle you hand tied two hooks with a bead at the distance away from the hook 90 degrees away from the line and they free dangled you know there at that spot and that is for your clams that is for your crab knuckles that is for your sand fleas uh, to get them out in the surf, whether it's short or whether it's long, um, to pick up your pick up your fish, your pompano and your whiting and anything that might or black drum. You know, we'll pick them up. So, and they were made a good leader material too. Those are probably thirty pound test. Okay. Well, those are solid sets. Yeah. yeah. You can't go wrong with the double dropper in the slider. I like that one. I, I use that. Uh, definitely reds. That That's a sweet setup for reds and something that it wants to really fight. Is, it, you know, the interesting thing um, is that I used a 209 pen for years. My dad taught me as a young man how to pick out a bird's nest quite a lot. I got quite good at it. And uh, we would put the line on clicker, you know, so the line would click and he would throw it out of gear so that when it hit it, it made that, you know, which is, there's no better sound. And you know, you have to go up there and click it and wait for the line to come tight, click the clicker off. Cause he said, don't be a goofus and sit there and reel with that clicker on. I don't want to have to replace it. You know, that's good old dad and bear down on him and let it go. So, I mean, it, you either loosen your drag so that you can tighten it when you get there and know what you loosened it, you know, two turns, uh, or put it on free spool, one of the two. There you go. Nice. Um, well, this is actually a perfect time because now we're going to continue with this, but we do need to do another bait check because it's been 44 minutes now. So, yeah, you're right. All of us are right on time. Let's just keep that going. Yeah. 
It is the second bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now. Doing well out there. And if not, yeah, it's 40 minutes. It's time to move. If nothing's happened, you need to move. Just change it. Stop saying it's going to happen. Move. Just move. This bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. NinjaTackleVA.com. Great website with great gear. The rods, you guys know I love them. My Ninja Dagger series. Seven footers all the way up to 12. Soon to be a 13 got your hands on the little bummy lots another good set of reels there and the i'm sorry rods and also the bummy stick great pieces of gear um anything that comes out of there rod wise that's solid need reels he's got you covered there Daiwa, he's got in with that set and he's got some conventionals lots of good pieces rigs bait yep all covered and if you're into shooting and fire and firearm accessories he's got you covered there with ninja tactical optics and other pieces for glock ar all those good things lots of good stuff on the website ninjatackleva.com so now that we've pushed into the rigs we've talked about that uh you mentioned earlier too with the sliding rig you're going with a pyramid weight now do you specifically use any one type of sinker do you use several types of sinkers what do you like to use well, that's conditional. Again, yeah. er, you know, you have to be you have to be able to adapt to your situation that you come to. We talked about that earlier on selecting a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are days when you go out there and you look at the surf and you go, "No way." You know, let's let's go get a beer and see if this calms <laughs> down. On you know, I mean, it, there are those times, that, uh, but those are extreme. And then there's times where there's no no waves at all, and you're like, "Is this the west side?" Because I thought this was the Atlantic, you know. I thought we had. <laughs> uh, but what you do is uh, the sinkers I use is predominantly pyramid sinkers, four-sided pyramids. There is three-sided pyramids. I actually have molds for those. Uh, I got from a gentleman in North Carolina. I purchased it from him as he passed. His his widow sold those to me, and I think they're awesome because they they set flatter than than four. Three is flatter than four. Three sides is flatter than four. And uh, I use pyramids, fours. I also use storm sinkers, which is a uh, pyramid, but it has little loops at the, uh, like a little uh, light bulb at the bottom instead of being traditional. It's supposed to hold. Um, I've used them. I've not had any problems. When I have problems and the day is rough, um, I make my own... Uh, Oh, I've just lost the name of the uh, a Sputnik. Dang on it! Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. This is what happens when you get older. Yep. Um, Trains. I get it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There, there it goes right through the mind. Uh, the Sputniks, and I make my own Sputniks. And I've found that if you need to have in Daytona, if you need to have more than an eight ounce pyramid or a five ounce Sputnik, it's time to go because your line is gonna go with the current. The current's gonna be one of two things. It's gonna be from the north going to the south or it's gonna be going from the south going to the north. Very rarely is it slack. Now the tide's always gonna come in and out. That's gonna happen. But the current is what drives your fish to move up and down the beach because they use less energy going with that tide, looking for food. So if you think you're going to catch those fish just because they're going to be there because they were there yesterday, they're probably in Jacksonville. (laughs) They're probably in Jacksonville. So you can say you're going to catch his cousin or his grandfather, whatever you want. But these fish 
are truly transient. They're moving to their environment. They're finding what works uh, so they can fill their belly. But I think the answer to your question is what kind of sinker? There's really two, uh, the pyramid and the um, Sputnik. Okay. Makes sense. Well, while we were talking about rigs, you also uh, make besides well besides making Sputniks for yourself, you also make a different uh, for rigs and different flies. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I uh, I have been making you know clousers, and I've been making shrimp imitations. Uh, the crab imitations are hilarious, uh, but surprisingly enough, if you put something out there quiet in front of a fish and it looks like something you're going to get bit yeah uh, when i use those things i have found uh at a young age even though i got reprimanded by my dad for doing it we were fishing fresh clams which you can hardly get fresh clams anymore uh you have to almost pay an arm and a leg and you know you almost want to keep them and sleep with them so that they don't die and you can use them later but scents, bottles of scents. this is to me, makes a lot of sense because if I can get a fish is going to smell it. He's got a lateral line. He's going to smell it. So if you've got your bait or your fly with a little bit of extra on it, it couldn't hurt. As long as you're presenting right and it smells right, odds are you're going to get bit. Yep, definitely. Uh, that That is one of the things that I have been using. I have been using scents for a year, even on live bait. People are like, dude, this is live bait. Why are you putting it on there? And I said, well, because I caught fish last time doing this. You know, and until it doesn't work, I want to use it. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And that's, you've got a pattern. If you figure out a pattern, uh, you're in good shape. And that brings me to a point that I wanted to tell you about that okay. I'm sure I'll do. But it doesn't hurt to get you a little notebook. A small notebook and to write down the day and the time and the tide and the place and what the weather was doing outside that day and say how did you fish and how did you catch this book goes back 20 years for me so i can look 20 years ago and say i was down near the inlet and caught this doing this which is a, it's better than, and you, I know, I know, I know. You can put it in your phone and yes, you can get it. You can do it, but it's something nostalgic about writing it down. Yeah. You enjoy it all over again. You know, it just doesn't come a document. It's something that you, that you appreciate. Yeah. And that's, you know, everyone's got their one, but that's something that's been said on this show numerous times is a notebook, taking notes of some form, some fashion. That way you have yeah. something to go back to because you know, let's all be honest here. As we get older, um, our brains don't exactly remember everything. So having right something on. written will get you very, very far in the game. It, it'll help you out. And you can pass it down. That's the best thing. It's a running log. Absolutely. And it depends on, you know, what time of year it is. You go, well, it was uh, April. What did I do? Well, I caught the snot out of Pompano. What did you do? Well, I fished over here and I used this, you know, mm, let's go see how it looks over there. Hey, this is pretty good. Hey, I did all right. And write it down again because it just reinforces it. It really does. Yep, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Really, the, uh, I talked a little bit about it. I can talk about it if you want me to, the uh, tides in the moon phase. 
Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned it, you so know, yeah, we can get right into that. Go for it. That is, uh, people have to understand that, you know, we have a moon. Of course, everybody knows that. And everybody knows that the moon helps make waves by gravity. And the more fuller that moon gets, the more you're going to have a tide that's high as soon as that moon comes up. So that means your tide is coming in as that moon comes up and it's full. Now, when that moon gets all the way over the top, then it's reached the peak of its pull on the waters. And as it goes away, that tide's going to fall. It goes behind you and goes away. That tide's going to go away. So the best times to fish that, a lot of people say, Joe's trying to say to go fish on a full moon. Well, that's the time you have. You may need to go if you want to go at night fishing in the surf, which I don't. I fish during the day. I'm predominantly a fish in, in, in a day and an evening in the surf. If it's at night, it's usually in a river or something like that uh, because the water flow catches up to it. When the moon gets in uh, almost at the seventh house, isn't that funny? I was just thinking of that song. But if the moon is like a half moon and it comes up, well, your tide is not full yet. And yes, you can see this moon coming up during the day. You have to look for it and see where it is, or you have to research and see where it is. But if the moon is half, I have found that if the moon is half full and you're catching it in the morning coming up, by the time that moon gets all the way up to you, that tide will be full. You're fishing a full incoming tide. And I have found that that is great fishing, just like that moon as it goes away before it just peaks and goes down on the back side of the earth the fishing is also good there these things are driven by pressure they really are they're driven by pressure to have food they're driven by pressure inside their bodies you know if they're not comfortable they're on shore because the pressure is too high they're leaving they're going to find something comfortable to be at um the uh the, so I think myself, I like fishing the first part of an incoming, and I like to fish halfway on an outgoing. Have I sat there and fished all day? Yeah, I've spent many, many days with my father, with our rods out, um, fishing in the surf for eight hours, 10 hours at a time. And I'll have to say that and we're moving, you know, start that truck up and say, load it all up. We load it all up and we go down to another run out because that run out wears out. People don't understand, may not understand or they don't understand that a run out is good for a certain period of either the outgoing or the incoming. You can't see them as well. They're not as well determined. And to be honest with you, in Daytona, the water can leave you so far that you're standing on the ground that was a run out. When the water's all the way up. Yes, that's, a, that's so funny you're there. Looking, you're looking at the next bar thinking, there should be a run right here. It should be right here. I should be able to look. And you're looking, and there's nothing because it wasn't that strong of a run out. It only went through the first bar. And you're like, this sand is really soft here. No wonder I can't, you know. Um, but you want to make sure that you have the conditions optimally to be fishing in that spot. If it's if that run out is wearing out, pick it up. Again, you know, Brian, like I've told you, move. Yep. Go find a run out, second run out. They're there. 
Now, unfortunately in Daytona, even though it's the world's most famous beach, you can't drive for reasons I won't talk about up and down the beach all the way. There's areas that you just can't get to. And you may have to park at one of the parks and walk in and walk, which is a pain for some of us older people that would like to fish those areas. But nonetheless, you have the same problem if you fish in Canaveral. You have to stop at one of the designated locations, area one, two, three, four, or five, or you need to go down to Titusville for six through 12. Uh, you need to, you know, you need to say, I need to go. I need to go. And you pick up and you go, I'm going to go further. Most of the people that you see that are um, catching fish are definitely on the move. Yeah, that's when you nailed all the pieces, man. I mean, there's nothing else to say on that. You crushed all of it. So well, well done. And I, I love that you talked about that piece with the run out too. You were like, huh, should be here. Wait, why am I, why is the sand different here? Oh, the yep. East Coast, yeah. East Coast will get you. If, you. if you're ever scouting on the East Coast, I will say this, and this is up and down the East Coast. I don't care if you're in Maine or Miami. If you're scouting, go out there in low tide. You're going to get, you're going to see everything you need to see for the next day. Boy, that's gospel right there, right? Yeah, it gets that's you. Awesome. I mean, it really is. Um, the, the, the really, the last factor, which may be the most important factor, um, no matter how hard the waves are crashing or not crashing, you need to have clean water. Yeah. And if you're in dirty water, um, my dad would equate it to this. When we're standing around the fire and the smoke seems to follow you around and get in your face and you can't breathe, it's the same thing with a fish in dirty water. They don't do well. They don't do well. They're, it's not optimal breathing conditions. So they're going so for the bait fish. So they're moving. And so the bigger fish are moving. They're following. I mean, it's the zebra and the cheetah thing. You know, if they're... That's what they're, or the lion thing. They're, they're moving to find comfortable water. And I mean, I don't mean champagne water. I really don't. I mean, green, clear water. When you see chocolate milk, keep driving. Keep driving. It, even though there's a run out there and it's a big run out, you may catch one or two, but those are desperate fish. Okay. You need to find clear water and when you find clear water beside those runouts you're in the money because they can see your rig they can smell your rig and they're in an area where bait is and other fish is that's that's one thing that i i didn't cover that i thought that i should that would be helpful it definitely is i mean you, there's nothing really to not notice with dirty water i mean because you're you're taking out one of the triangle that i like to say sight smell and taste. I mean, basically, those are the big ones. If I can see it, I'm going to go after it. If I can smell yep. it, I'm going to go after it. If I can taste it, I'm going to yep. eat it. If the fish don't have yep. those pieces, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, sense great. You're, you're not. You're going to end up in the negative column, and you're going to be upset. Yep. <laughs> a, a sad truth. Yes. Uh, let's talk about gear. What are some essential uh, gear and tackle needs for a successful surf fishing trip, and how can anglers choose the right pieces of gear? Okay, there's probably four pieces that I'm going to cover. And the first one seems like uh, the most trivial, but it's probably the most important. And that is your sand spike. 
I see so many people going out there with a sand spike that is about two and a half feet long. And I'm like, hmm. Let's think about that. You're only going to you're going to put it down at least a, a foot into the ground for it to be stable. And so you got our foot sticking up and you're putting a 10 or 11 or 12 foot pole, whatever you can throw comfortably in that holder, you're only 11 foot. Now I know I have to go to back to my physics class and I'm sorry about that, all the way back to high school. But the top of that line is being held by a weight and it's coming out at an angle into the water. If you're on this side, you're on the Daytona side, you're gonna deal with waves. And it's gonna make you look like you're getting a bite when it's really just the waves pulling the tip down and pulling the tip back. So if you have a sand spike like I have, that I make, I, I, I make them for myself and my friends, I make them. It is one that comes up just under my chest. So when I pound it in the ground, this thing is sticking up three feet in the air. And you're saying, well, you know, Joey, what does that help? The two foot difference, the three foot difference that I have on you lets me clear that first wave crashing. Therefore, my line is tight all the time. Now, I'm not going to say it doesn't move back and forth because there's waves. We know the swells, they haven't turned into waves yet, are going to pull that line a little bit and everything else. That, that's normal. But it's not looking like a fish. And, of course, when you get a fish, there's no doubt it's struggling to get off the hook. So it looks different. But I don't want to have the shore break messing with me all day. That's yeah. the reason why I do it. And I think it's important. The second part is the rod. Uh, bless his heart. My dad would say, rods are a dime a dozen. He says, you can spend your life savings on a rod or you can go to the store and get one the right length and use it. And if it breaks, get another one. So there's, uh, there's, that's, that's not a bad analogy. I, I mean, I get it. But he finished the sentence by saying, if you have a good reel and you take care of it, like you would a little kid, you'll have it forever. Now, in my, in my arsenal that I have, and my wife calls it an arsenal, um, I have six of his reels. They're pen reels. They're indestructible. Yeah, take care of a piece of gear, it'll last you forever. And it doesn't matter whether it says pen or what it says on it. It's just what I've grown accustomed to. And that's the other thing is familiarity. If you get to feel the balance of your rod, if you say, I'm going to dedicate myself this year to a 10 foot rod and what the aspects of casting it. Uh, am I using a um, 209? Am I using a uh, uh, bail casting reel, a pen? Am I using any of the, am I using those? How does it feel throwing? How is it for height? If you get those three aspects together of being comfortable throwing a certain size rod and being able to get the pound test on the reel that you want and learning the drag so that you can understand that you're giving the fish no chance because if he runs, He's not going to snap the line because you've got it set properly. Yeah. And all it is for set properly is so that he can run and you can reel. 
that was that was the definition by my father if the fish needs to run he can run if you need to reel you can reel because if you're reeling against that drag and nothing's happening that fish is trying to figure out how to get off that hook the whole time <laughs> true every you can gain on him every inch you can gain on him or every foot you can gain on him or every yard is a bonus for you but then again at, at a young age i learned that if you crank the drag down when dad's not looking and you do get a red fish and he takes off and it goes snap you're so stunned and dad's like did you mess with the drag yeah dad i did <laughs> well he got that one yeah those are those are my those are my choices um my i, I don't I, I i do love pen reels because i'm familiar with them mm -hmm. i take them apart i clean them i put them back together uh, I fix the little things in them, the big things I'll have fixed. There's parts for them, you know. Uh, it's it's been it's been a good reel. The rods, there are some really great rods out there. There's fiberglass rods. Um, there's the uh, I almost called them the wrong thing. I'm sitting here looking at one and can't tell you what it is. They're really flexible. Um, Talking about graphite or uh, yeah, carbon they, fiber ish. Thank you, graphite. Um, the graphite rods are, you know, way more sensitive, you know, to incoming stuff. And you can get them in different strengths. But I think that if you're, if you're in this to be a thrifty person and go fish, and I have taught people to go surf fishing, families to go surf fishing. I said, here's what we do. Here's where we go. Here's how you make your cart. Here's how you make rigs. Here's what line you put on it and everything else. And um, the rods is really up to you. It's, it's up to how much do you want to spend? Uh, how much are you going to spend on it? There's no reason for us to go and say we need a car and buy a Maserati, in my humble opinion, because I don't need all that horsepower. Right. What I need is something that I can afford uh, that doesn't make my wife's eyebrows raise up, uh, you know, which it never really does with her. She just looks at you and goes, whatever uh just bring me a fish and i'm like yes ma'am <laughs> don't you don't have to you don't have to break the bank you can if you get into it more there's a lot of uh commercial fishermen that you'll see that have some really nice stuff because it's their job right it's recreational it's their job yeah. so they spend that money and kudos to them you know and there's better and worse reels it's just up to you to find something you're comfortable with but most importantly that you take care of yeah because if you don't take care of it you're not going to keep it and you're not going to be happy yep that's it right there those pieces all put that together um well we've been going 60 now now i need to do one more bait check let's get that knocked out real fast for the rest of the show It is your third and final bait check of the episode. Hopefully, it's been a successful day of fishing. You're not in the negative. Now I'm going to have to remember that from now on from this episode. Thanks, Joe. Uh, this bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. DSCustomTackle.com, the Delaware team. Yep, lots of great things in that shop. Great rigs already pre-tied, ready to go. Or if you like to tie your own stuff, they've got all the supporting things you need. Beads, floats, uh, hooks, they've got it all. It, maybe you want a different kind of teaser or different style. It doesn't matter. It, 
they've got it in there. If there are certain things that maybe you've been looking for, hey, reach out to them. They might either have it hiding in their archive or they know where they get it. Lots of good things in there. And it's not just for Delaware or the East Coast. No, these work all over the world. Great pieces of gear from dscustomtackle.com. Head on over, get your order in today. So we've been pushing kind of far here, and we got a, we got quite a few to push, so let's see if I can't rock you through some other ones here. Okay, so what do you do when you go fishing in a brand new place? Well, you know, I, again, it goes back to doing your homework. Uh, let's, let's know what the tide is there. Uh, let's know what the moon phase is there. Is it something favorable? When is my high tide going to be? When is the moon coming up? Um, what time of year is it? You know, those things make you can make you more successful. You can go out there cold turkey and look at something and yes, I've done it. And you went out there and you're like, God, I wonder what it is. And you pick up your phone and you look at it. Today's technology helps. Uh, basically, you can look at spots. There's uh, plenty of things. Uh, there's uh, fishing groups that have, you know, things out there for you to know the tide and the spots and all that kind of stuff. That, that makes it helpful, makes it more easier. I think that knowing where knowing where you're going ahead of time makes the biggest emphasis. Make yes, well played on that one. Uh, you talked a little bit about this already, and I'm sure you can because you hit the wave tops, and we can re-verify that. How can anglers target specific species of fish in the surf, and what are some tactics for catching those popular game fish? You know, redfish, pompano, and stuff like that. Right. Um, again, with the redfish, we're using a live bait rig a majority of the time. Um, it is, they are sight feeders as much as they are smell feeders. I, I really feel like that. Um, and when we talk about pompano in a second, uh, it'll be a little different story. Um, not much, but a little bit different. The live bait rigs are going to be in your deeper holes. They'll be in your second, their second slew. If you have it over the second bar. Uh, because they're more comfortable there. Uh, the sun doesn't hit them as much. There's not as much predation. Uh, when you see dolphins, by the way, when everybody goes, ooh, dolphin, you go, yeah. ooh, dolphin. Yeah. Uh, the day's over because that is the most supreme fisherman on the water. He will mess up a day. If you see him, go to a new spot. Yep, good go old Eric. Don't wait for him to leave because he's waiting for you to catch something and put it back so he can eat it. It's just that simple. Um, it, it's, and I hate it, but it's true. We're talking about that. And that's really like your uh, bluefish and your uh, redfish. Now, if we're going to go to whitening and we're going to go to pompano, uh, which are two fantastic fish to eat. And, and you know, if you're going to have me rate them, I would go pompano redfish. Those two are the creme de la creme and with a black drum right there in third place. It's a solid two and a half place. But with these whiting and pompano, you'll notice that they have little feelers underneath their mouth, like little whiskers, even so do uh, black drum. You have to look for them, they're very small, but what they're doing is they're sensing where something is. So they are looking and they are using their lateral line, but they don't use it like a snook does or like a redfish does, and I better say that my wife loves snook or else I'm gonna be in trouble. Yes, my wife loves snook and I do too. Um, <laughs> but the pompano, the pompano is, is tilted down. 
And in the surf, a redfish is not tilted down. He's on the bottom searching for stuff to go through. A pompano is tilted down. A whiting is tilted down. He's going through that dirt looking for that crab or looking for that uh, mole crab or sand flea. Or he's looking for that shrimp, which there's shrimp there. We just don't know that it's there. That's why all the shrimp boats are out there running just a couple hundred yards offshore. It's because they're shrimp. Because of that, you have to put that rig down there where they are. Because if you don't, they're swimming off. Because again, we talked about this being interstates and state roads, they're moving. If they don't get satisfied or nothing kicks their interest, they're gone. Yes. Okay. Well, the, the interstate thing is always important. I, I think people overlook that one. Um, let's talk about this one's going to be a good one because you've seen it and <clears throat> especially being out with people and, and, you know, through your experience of years, what are some top surf fishing mistakes to avoid and how can anglers continuously improve their skills and knowledge in, in the fun part of this? Um, when you start out, expect there to be a learning curve. I'm not telling you that you're going to fail. I'm telling you, you're not going to go out there like Bill dance and catch something in 30 minutes like he does on TV. You're going to work at it. There are the days that you can walk out there, close your eyes, throw into the water, and you're on. I mean, those things you need to call yourself as magical. When you're young and you're doing this, or you're old and you're doing this for the first time, be patient with yourself. And second of all, get information. I can't tell you how important this is. Like podcasts like this, not necessarily just mine, there's many people a lot better than me that are giving information. There are people online on YouTube. All you have to do is type in uh, on your search bars or on your YouTube bars what you're asking. And you're going to find something come up. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. But a lot of things that you type up there about fishing, somebody's going to tell you about. And I think that's important. And again, uh, evaluating where you are and having basic knowledge where you go. And don't be afraid to ask, say hi to a fisherman, a fellow fisherman, and say, hey, how you doing? You're not wanting to get into his spot. You're just wanting to ask him how it's going. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's time-honored that you can do. You know, I had a wonderful man next to me. We were fishing, having a hard time. We were fishing with clams. <laughs> and didn't get any better than clams, I don't think, when they're fresh. And, we, and he's like, how are you doing? And uh, I said, we're doing all right. And I've seen him hook up two or three times. And I said, are you in a run out? He says, I'm on the other side of it. You're on this side. I said, okay, at least I'm, I'm thinking about that right. And I said, uh, what are you using for bait, brother? And he goes, crab knuckles. And I went, oh. <laughs> I said, exclusively? And he goes, today, exclusively? He says, I haven't even thought of my shrimp. And I went, there it is. Uh-huh. There's, the, there's the other thing, you know? It's just that it, it is figuring out the bait, figuring out the tide, figuring out the sloughs. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a PhD. It's really not. It's just a process. And you just determine how how well you want to do by how much you want to put into it. There is a lot of gratification, Brian, of being out there, having your poles out, 
sitting in your chair going, oh, this is way better than work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, but the goal is to catch a fish or two, you know. So Very that's much. what I'm saying. Uh, perfect stuff, dude. You, you just crushed it so much. I'm loving this. All right, let's get you into the last closing questions here and get you out of here because I know you got stuff to do today. Yeah, I know we, we got that. Uh, we, we got just enough time. What knowledge? Well, well, you already nailed that one. So actually, I don't even need to ask you that question. Um, before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or tips you'd like to share with the listeners who are interested in getting into surf fishing? Well, yeah. Um, these are basic things that I was taught as a child. And I think that I think that we lose a little bit of it today, given that we have as much information as we have leave the place as clean as you brought it as you yeah. got to it if there's something there and you didn't do it it's not a crime for you to pick it up and make it look better i don't know how many uh wardens and stuff that have passed by me and and seen me picking up stuff and he'll stop and say thank you i say you're welcome you want me to run that over to the garbage can hey that'd be great <laughs> you know are you doing any good now look i'm building a relationship here yeah, have you seen any fish? Yeah, down there at three, they're really doing better. Pull up the stuff and go to three. Just we're picking up trash. I got information. So I think that, you know, leave it cleaner than when you got there. And don't miss an opportunity. Really, don't miss an opportunity to be kind. There are billions of, billions of fish in the water. Billions. The ones that you're catching or not catching is not going to be changed by somebody fishing close to you trying to learn. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with making a friend rather than an enemy. Love There's it. just nothing wrong. It's just nothing wrong with it. No, no, not at all. Uh, are there any fellow surf anglers, mentors, authors, or individuals who have inspired your journey and deserve a shout out? Well, you know, when you're a young guy and you're watching television, you, uh, like I said, there's Bill Dance, there's Flip Pallet um, that you watch um, there. And again, I, I named somebody and, and if he hears this, I know he'll, I've never met the man. Let me say that right up front for tongue fam, but I have had plenty of good cross conversation with him online. People who are dedicated to doing it correctly in all forms and, and keeping the environment nice of not taking more than you're supposed to. Uh, those are, those are people, everybody, I think that everybody's my hero uh, because the, the best thing that we can do to make sure this sport goes on is take a kid fishing. Yeah. Even if it's not your kid, take the kid fishing. You'd have no idea what might change in that kid's life because you took that day to take them fishing. I mean, there are replacements. <laughs> it's really what it is you're passing on. So, yes, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it is. It is. And, it, and it, it, I have had kids who was my friend's kids that, fish and they come back and they go big joe and i'm like yeah and i'm like look what i caught and i said you're kidding me 
that's outstanding. You know, he got dinner for his family. I mean, what's better than that when you're a young guy and you're bringing home something and I'm like, hey, Tim, how did your boy do? He caught dinner. <laughs> That's just awesome. It's just it's just awesome. Well, get the hush puppies and the coleslaw out. Feed that kid, for God's sake. <laughs> ah, yes. That's a good one. All right. Last question here. We'll get you out because I know you got stuff to do. Joe, what is next for you? Well, It's an evolutionary process. The first one is probably get to retirement. That'd be my first thing. Um, I am going to learn to fly fish a little bit more. I am going to continue to surf fish. I am going to river fish. And God willing in the creek don't rise, I might catch me a salmon. I think I've covered most of that. But I think that what's next for me is probably to try to be a good person to continue to teach because I think it's most important. That's great. You're doing that right here. I mean, now you've got a, you've got a forever piece of knowledge out there with this podcast. Well, and I know it'll help a lot I, of people. I tell you, I do appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, this means a lot. Well, it means a lot to me that you came on because uh, I've, I've had numerous people like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, dude, it's not going to hurt you. It's only going to tell your story. So I am very yeah. thankful that you did. You know, you said yes. You spent the time and you were you, you were just so open and candid. So thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate oh, all the time. Glad to do it. You ever want to talk and, and do it again? I'll, I'll I'll be at your beck and call. Sounds good. I'll let you know when I'm going to be in Daytona and we'll get out and throw a line or something. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. And you can find me if you want to, uh, to drop me a message online at uh, F-L-A-H-O-R-N-E-T-132 at gmail.com. That's me, the Florida Hornet. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be glad to uh, hook up with people and fish, or at least if I'm not able to go, to be able to give them, give them advice. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch, man, and uh, we'll talk next time. My brother, it has been an honor. Thank you, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Joe out of the old Daytona Beach. I Hopefully this helped you because I, I gained some great stuff from it. And that's one thing I love about running these podcasts is that I do get knowledge firsthand and it's stuff for me to put down in my toolbox to use to help me catch more fish depending on where I'm at and even where I'm going, even my local area. I mean, it all is knowledge and it all helps us all. If this episode helped you, make sure you share it out. You know, send it to somebody like, hey, maybe this one will uh, give you some intel. I'm always here for all that. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to me and send me a message. I'd be happy to talk to you about fishing, surf fishing, how you do it, where you do it, and all the good pieces. Because we all learn from each other. That's just the fact. We all learn from each other. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. I appreciate you. I'm out of here. <laughs>